I'm sitting here just outside the castle with Paul McTaggart, who's worked with us now for a number of years. But I met him through metal detecting because I needed someone to help me try to find the remains of a plane, a B-17 from World War II. So welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for joining me today. And do you remember when I first met you, actually, quite some time ago now? Yes, I was in a pub called The Flower Pots. Which now sells High Click Castle Gin. It does. And <laughs> I, my friend Steve came into the pub one day and asked if I still had my metal detector, which I said I did. And he said, I said, well, who's lost what? And he said, well, I can't tell you what they've lost and I can't tell you where you are, but are you free next Friday? I was, and the Friday came along, and we, we went up the A34 to... I don't know where I was going, because it was sort of like a, a mystery tour, until we turned into the castle. Mission impossible. Yeah, well, well it was. <laughs> um, when I turned into the castle, I said, here, what's Downton Abbey lost? It was then I met yourself and Lord Carnarvon. And it was so interesting, because I'd been writing a book called Catherine and the Real Downton Abbey, which ended in 1945, and I had gathered that... Just before the end of the war, a B-17 had crashed into Sidon Hill just during a training flight. And those, the pilots and everyone inside, I believed, had been killed. And I wanted to find out the story, find what had happened in order to create a memorial to them and, and then see how we could get in touch with their relatives. So that was the start of what was a really long journey. You and Steve went up the hill and you had your metal detector, very professional, and you were asking Steve what you were looking for. That's right. I said to Steve, what are we, what are we actually looking for? Because I can't see anything on the ground. And as he walked forward, he tripped over this large piece of fuselage and he goes, oh, we're looking for things like this. <laughs> And there were, although there were surface fly, finds, we weren't actually digging. We were just looking for surface finds. And yes, and I need to say that obviously I had I gained a license from the MOD, so I now um, own the remains of the planes and was to look after them and I guess share the stories, which is particularly important. And it's amazing what we have gathered together. Actually, so we found the B seventeen and we found the story behind it, which we can come back to. But I then had realised from one of our keepers, that a P-38 had also crashed. So the three of us were in my little old car. Up we went and we parked on the grass outside some woods. And then what happened, Paul? Uh, well, um, because I'm, I'm plain mad and I'm history mad, I flew out of this little tiny car, rushed round the back of the car, so excited, and I had my, it was a cold day and I had my hands in my pockets and I tripped over a fence, which I didn't see, and I went down like a sack of potatoes, hands in my pockets, face down onto the mud. And of course, Steve and I were still sitting in the car talking and we'd watched you get out and hair towards the wood and then fall down. And all we did was cry with laughter. Luckily, you were OK. Yeah, and funny enough, it was the wrong, wrong wood, wasn't it? It was the wrong wood and there was no sympathy from either one of you because when I, when I eventually got to my feet, you were both in this hysterics. And then you come out and said, oh, it's the wrong wood. And <laughs> you had to get back in the car. And the next time you took your time. But again, more seriously, we then found where a P-38 had crashed, which was each story was was so sad for the family for the grandmother of the the sisters the the bride-to-be wasn't it I mean it was very moving 
many of the relatives today did not know where those they loved had died. And I know there's a letter from William Dutton, which I know quite well, about William Dutton, one of the young men in the B-17. And his a friend of his from college had written to Mr Dutton, his father, saying, you know, I don't know how wonderful his son was at college and I don't know where William has died but wherever he has died in England will be made richer by his blood. And it was just, some of the letters are very hard to read, and I know when we began to find them and bring the families in and commemorate what their ancestors had done, I I would read the letters sometimes earlier on in the day, Paul, because because I'd cry and I found it easier in the daylight to recover. When, when, when we were doing the research, I found that each bit I uncovered... These people knew nothing about where their loved ones had died. Because it was wartime, certain things were never told. A plane would go down over England. It wouldn't pinpoint a place. When you uncover something, you uncover an object. And I just needed to find out who this was, who it was, why it flew into the hill. I said to Steve, I said, I need to know everything about this plane. And then when we uncover the stories... You uncover people's stories, but then you get the family lives behind it, mm. the sisters, the brothers, that sort of thing. And that's the touching thing about it. And I, I used to read things late at night, and then I think I used to send you emails at 3 o'clock in the morning saying, I found this, read this, it's really touching. Because it, it was, it was like some sort of trail and journey into other people's lives to, to try to bring back that part, to try to remember, I think, to make sure people aren't forgotten for what they did. I I think it's such a fundamental part of all of our psyches that we want to be remembered one way or another. Talking to the relatives, when they they came for the heroes... So Paul mentioned heroes, and that, Paul, was heroes at Highclere. So Highclere remembered in 2014 and then 2018, the beginning and end of World War I, and used that as a time to bring different people together from different nations around the world, to remember, to say thank you, to be entertained, to admire the cars and the helicopters, and to raise money for charities, from Messos en Frontier to SAFA and the Royal British Legion and different medical charities. So we tried to reach both ways and gather people together. And Heroes was a lovely point to stand still in a turning world. I found the heroes, when we had the relatives there, to stand next to Robert Sprout, the second officer, to talk and stand there and shake his hand was fascinating. And then the Nitty family, the only survivor, his wife was there to talk and basically just the human. Because when when you're metal detecting, you're finding bits and pieces, old things, you never find the person behind it. And there was this plane and there was real people there. There were two mosquitoes, um, a Lysander, the B-17, a P-38, a Proctor, a Whitley, and I think there's one more yet to find, isn't there? Uh, There was a P-47. The B-17, in fact, crashed into the hill on May the 5th, 1945. It was on a um, training mission, and the weather was not very good, typically British, and everybody working here at Highclere heard the plane come down, circle over the castle and fly south. Sadly, it was the only direction not to go because south of the castle is a, is a big hill called Sidon Hill, which you and I know well for, and the plane caught the top of the trees and burst into flames and somersaulted down the hill. 
So the airmen inside it sadly didn't survive bar one. But you know a little bit more about the airmen inside the plane, don't you, Paul? You've got a better memory than I. The crew were coming down from Charleston on a training flight and they were dropping off a pilot at Newbury, Greenham Common. But the cloud level, had the fog had descended down quite thick and they had to drop down to 700 feet. And the only marker they found was the top of the castle. They flew round the castle twice, and the gardeners and gamekeepers saw this. Back then, the B-17 would have been huge, so this great big silver shiny aircraft come through the low cloud, round the castle twice, and headed in a southern direction, lower than the hill. The hill is 900 feet, and the plane was at 700, so he had quite a lot to do. As he pulled up, and B-17s are not like a fighter plane that can shoot straight up, it gradually climbed and really full power... And sadly, he clipped the top and crashed and down the other side. I think partly because above the Sidden Hill there are quite tall trees and there's still a gap in the tree line where the plane went down, which now, knowing the story, was desperately sad and, you know, three days before the end of the war. But so many of the accidents here, all of the accidents here were just bad luck. They were accidents through training, through practising, trying to go up the bombing range. It's really brought home to me how much death is caused in war just by training and bad luck. When we arrived on top of the hill on a really bright sunny day, when I said to Steve what we're looking for and he found this great big piece of aircraft, it wasn't until he walked down metal detecting surface finds and I was not finding anything. I got a couple of signals but they were just fragments. It's when you find an object that determines an aircraft. And I found, the first thing I found was the top of a fuel tank. And it's got little studs over the top. It's quite a big thing, about the size of a dinner plate. And then when I turned it over, I instantly realised that this was the top of a fuel tank, which is in the wings. But when you metal detect out either side, so 25, 30 feet either side, the signals stop. So you knew that you were in a crash zone. And this crash zone goes all the way down to the bottom of the hill. And Sidon Hill, as you know, is quite steep. So you end up, if you're not hanging onto a tree, you end up at the bottom really quick. Yeah. And when I got down there, that's when most of the things were fine. So, for instance, undercarriage wheels, bits of rubber, hose pipes, that's were all starting to pick up. This must have been horrendous coming down here. Just completely because and he, utterly he terrifying. Was trying to, yeah, he was trying to get over the hill and then mm-hmm. coming down and cascading down there. And they had full fuel tanks mm-hmm. and they had a huge amount of ammunition on board. When the aircraft exploded and anybody in that area could hear because there was a large fire... The ammunition was going off in all directions. I must stress there was no bombs on this aircraft. It was literally at the end of the war. You never went into the air without ammunition, but you weren't on a bombing mission, so there was no bombs. We were quite safe there. Because there was a large fire, ammunition was popping off all in directions, so rescuers were hampered in getting there because there was rounds going off. When they, they found Len Nitty up against the tree, he was badly burnt and had a back injury. How he survived, it's just mind-boggling. That well, when because the... we found from the letter, he'd actually got up just before they'd hit the thing and walked, hit the top of the hill and walked towards the back. Mm. So he was two-thirds of the way up the plane. And then he was jettisoned out and he found himself up against a huge cedar tree. And when he came back which he did before I um, had found the story or was here, he remembered it, which must have been traumatic in the sense of the friends that he lost. But he did a little video for it, which is what we were able to share. 
when I'm up there, every time I go to the hill, and we pull across there and we always put poppies at the bend, I always go up there and I say, I'm back, boys. Now, where some people might not believe this, but I, I certainly believe this. And I go to the tree that Len Nitty was leaning against. And to me, that's, that's just, I can feel it now. I'm tingling with every time I go there, I feel the presence of them. And one particular day I was up there, it was a, it was a foggy day, and it was actually on their anniversary, their 75th anniversary. I'd gone up, not with metal detecting, I'd gone up to pay my respects, spend time up there with the boys. And I turned round to say the Lord's Prayer at the uh, cross, and there was two deer staring at me, and a shaft of sunlight came. Now, I took a photograph of this shaft of sunlight. I didn't get the deers, because as soon as they spotted me, they were gone. But this shaft of light out of all the trees in the claim, was straight down on the cross. And I got, and I still am now tingling, there's something there. They're here, not physically, but they're here. And when I took the photograph and I sent it to the families on their Facebook page, they all said, the boys were with you. And I, even now, I just, I get it. Every single time I got there, even when I go to all the other ones, the P38, the mosquitoes, I always go to them and I always say, I'm here, lads, I'm with you. As I say, we don't we don't look at the other ones. I've just placed a cross, and it's and when it's mosquitoes and British plane, I've put oak crosses, and I think I've put red cedar for the other crosses, which are American. But every every individual one, I feel that I'm here with them. It's been a really amazing journey, you know, sharing it with the families. It's been really moving. I I I get quite emotional when I'm doing my talks, and which I <laughs> which I will be in a couple of week's time when I'm telling the story 10 days it's quite close now by the way <laughs> don't go anywhere <laughs> when I when I'm doing my talks I, I I gear up and I when I come to the B17 because for the heroes which was 2018 up until Len Nitty was coming back and he sent me an email to say look I'm coming with my family I'm looking forward to shaking your hand and I thought I'm actually going to meet the guy who was actually in the aircraft and then we all know he died in January 2018 I was really sad, seriously sad, because I felt that... I don't know this man, I don't know his family, but I felt that I was part of their family, and I still feel I'm part of their family because... Well, we've done some Zooms, haven't we, over the last 18 months, and that's been quite quite good. Sometimes we Zoom together, and after about an hour, I leave, and you're still on my computer yes, two we hours do. later. Yeah, we, when, we, when, when we did that Zoom call to all the families and yes. Jeff Pickett, yeah. and you left and that, then came back two hours and I was still there because <laughs> I felt I was in part of it and the Zoom thing's lovely because you're with that family oh, it's, just, it's just fascinating I think it's been the most extraordinary journey Paul from just standing there with Eddie Hughes who was a keeper here for 60 years when I'd nearly finished writing a book for him to say to me what about the B-17 lady?" which is what he said and that's where my journey started which is why I was trying to look for yourself and Steve Bohill-Smith because he's a Concorde pilot and he's a de Havilland expert and a vintage aircraft pilot I needed some help so turned around to build a, a small team and that has led us all along a fascinating path. We've all walked together along it. We've brought more and more people along the journey as well. And it was quite a funny story how we found many of the families in America. I'd written an April Fool blog 
And I'd said in it that um, I'd made up a story that we're going to have a sci-fi film now instead of Downton Abbey. But there were going to be stormtroopers in Downton Abbey costumes and there were going to be UFOs landing on the roof and John was checking the roof over and I was trying to put out signs in the secret garden for landing places. Anyway, so that went out there, which... I was crying with laughter as I wrote, and <laughs> it went down quite well. One of the people who read it was Jeff, who was a press officer from the Star Wars in America, and he contacted me, and when he came over and I was telling him what we were doing, he said, how can I help? And I said, can you help? Can you help us find the descendants of the crew who died here in America? So he did, and he put out the word through the Rotary Clubs, and I am so grateful to him, and it's been it's a joy to get to know him, and his mother's come over, and it, it's it's been really good, actually, Paul, the whole way along. I'm looking forward to finding the next plane. The, the story hasn't finished, because every day we learn a little bit more. We meet another person. We had that extraordinary church service up where Lieutenant Stewart died. In a, in a glade surrounded by the birds and Christine Dale, the vicar, came up. We had a short service to remember him with his niece or great-niece, Jessica Rasmussen, and her 16-year-old son. And I'll never forget when she then said, may I sing a hymn, which she did. And the rest of us stood and we were just about to cry. It was pitch perfect. It was so beautiful. And it was a way for her to go back and share with her family you know, where her great-uncle had died. It, it was the most amazing day. I think I then turned away and, and left her with yourself and Steve, mainly because I couldn't stop crying, um, gave everybody some time, and then we came back down again. Extraordinary I, times. I remember it because, like you say, it's pitch perfect, but I'm not an emotional person, but when, I, when you confronted that, the tears were streaming down my face. Mm. He was a young lad. He'd only been in the UK two weeks he'd never flown in cloud and he'd gone his instructor William Evers had taken him up yep. to learn to fly and he says you've got to learn Within to fly cloud, because yes. of D-Day's coming sadly they, they, they did their mission they were coming back and they were coming back to land and they collided in midair and in thick cloud yeah. and his plane came straight he down he came straight down and William Evers he bailed out so he was fine but as he went out, his parachute deployed and it hit the tail. In a mid-air collision, things were confused. And sadly, he died. And, and the th thing about Stuart is that when the letters started to arrive, the letters from his girlfriend, the letters from his mother, and, and this is a real person. And it really, for you and myself, it just hits you right in the heart and makes you... And you would sit at home and you're in tears and thinking... I don't know this person, but why am I crying? It has been the most extraordinary journey, Paul, and you used to come here a huge amount in your spare time. And then, of course, your previous job ended and you were looking for another job. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, when it ended, um, because I came here for metal detecting, I think I said to you when we were going there, what a great place to work. And then the next thing I knew, my phone rang and you were saying to me, would you like to come and work for me? which I thought, well, that's OK, but what will I be doing? And she said, well, I haven't really thought about it yet, but would you... And I just jumped at it because I just knew that this was the place to work. And you've started working in visitor reception and working the computers. Oh, the no, yeah. But I think John mate said, uh, Lady Carnarvon, talk about rabbit in headlights. Well, I was that rabbit because... <laughs> 
I didn't know anything about the computers or tills, uh, scanning. I, I just didn't have a clue. But you were lovely and welcome people, so that goes a long way. Oh, yeah, then yeah. In the like, end, yeah. you've got, you got pretty expert at the other elements of it. But, um, and then, of course, you're also very kind because you become Father Christmas or the Easter Bunny and you dress up and you partly act because I know you're a part-time amateur actor as well. So, in a sense, this is a hilarious place for you because you can become Father Christmas, the Easter Bunny or welcome people through the door or go metal detecting. I, uh... It is a quite a fun life here. And just to perhaps add in at this point that there is no metal detecting apart from you and I because mm. there are as I know well, some extraordinary medieval and old sites. So it's just being respectful of that. So it's in a slightly more organised fashion. But it'd be lovely to take some people to where we've worked, wouldn't it, at mm. some point? Oh, it'd be lovely to, to tell the story of the aircraft. Like all the aircraft that we have researched, B-17 and the P-38, we've had licences from the MOD. Yes. All the other aircraft, we've not touched anything because they're just, just too delicate to touch. We've placed the cross where the aircraft came down and that is it. And that's the, and we've we've got the families, the air crews' names on the crosses and that's it. We don't go any further than that. No. And then in memory of everybody who did die here and as a metaphor for a wider population of those who lost their life, we've created a cedar ermen from a cedar tree came down the other side of the park. We kept the trunk and then when I'd remembered the name of the wood sculptor, which took me a couple of years because my desk is such a mess, I couldn't find his card, Simon O'Rourke, he then came just before Heroes in 2018 and sculpted a cedar ermen, a young ermen from whatever nationality, turning round to say goodbye to all mm. of us because he was going to climb in his Ferrari in the sky. But, of course, he didn't come back, so beneath him and beneath some of the chairs are the remains of some of the planes. And and this, you're fantastic at sharing the story with visitors on our October Highclere Castle Festival weekend, which is now two weeks away, but I hope we'll again have it every year henceforth, round about the 9th and 10th of October. You're going to again be giving talks, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I really look forward to my talks because it, it, it's me telling the story isn't it, of another part of what Highclere's got. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come here because it's Downton Abbey or it's Tutankhamen or just the house. A lot of people don't know about the history of the air crews that were here. The story of Geoffrey de Havilland. A lot of people don't know that he took his first flight here. And to tell that to people and see their faces, and it brings me great joy to tell the story of these young men that gave their lives. By their endeavours and inspiration and their enthusiasm, I completely agree. So we've also got a history of flight tent that weekend, which it is amazing. And we've, we have managed to gather together quite a big exhibition now about the history of flight. And I think it's such an honour to find that Geoffrey de Havilland made his first flight from here. And I was looking through some old photographs and I found a photograph of the structure, the building in which he created the aircraft down at the foot of Beacon Hill. And I think I probably pinged an email to Steve Bohill-Smith, our third musketeer, if you like, at about 11 o'clock at night, saying, oh, I'm so excited! <laughs> you have to see he, this. He, he texted me and he said, will you come and have a look at this hangar, thinking it was a structure? And it was just literally a floor with rails. And he, he said, There's, there was told by gamekeepers, there were spanners all over there, Put the metal detector in and found, didn't find spanners, but found lots of piano wire, lots of it. And then we came out of what they call where the hangar doors into the field and we found the spout of an oil can. Yeah. And it had, a, had uh, I can't remember what they had on the name, it had a, had a serial number, but it was 
touching that spout thinking Jeffrey de Havilland was probably on there squirting oil all over his engine using this spout. Well, I know, and I think the wings were constructed with the piano wire. Mm. Um, and then his wife had sewn the... Um, Linen over the top and stretched. Extraordinary. But, but the, the, the lovely thing about that is that it, that was 1910, and here we are finding things to such a fantastic aviator. I know, through history. five, ten years ago now. And then, of course, we had the most marvellous Mary Berry here, didn't we? Yeah, we for did. A documentary. And in order to, again, share the story of the airman, we had a picnic where you helped her metal detect. Yeah. And it was really quite cold, wasn't it? It was, it was so cold up there. There was three of us up there who didn't have water bottles. Which Mary and I did. And we, we, were, we were perishingly free. And I remember when all the... Not the cakes, but there were like little um, quiches were handed out. And I just happened to just, right before it said action, I just hoofed mine down. <laughs> and then I got told off and then was given another one. So I was, <laughs> so don't eat it until it's ready. <laughs> and then there were some really good little rolls and things like that. Oh, so they were just was fantastic. Well, there was you and Steve, weren't there? There was myself, Steve and Robert. Robert having the picnic together on the rug. Whereas Mary we were trying to put down the picnic Thing. Because we're on top of he- heavens, up by Heaven's Gate, the picnic blanket kept getting blown off. And in the end, they said, forget the picnic blanket, just sit on it. <laughs> but it was perishingly cold. And I, I then retired with Mary, obviously looking after Mary, to a heated car. And she had a whole, she was an amazing lady to work with. It was such an honour. It was a pleasure to show her how to metal detect. And I think I must be the only person ever to show her how to metal detect. <laughs> Maybe she'll take it up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she did point. find a piece, and she also we found that hatch as well, which uh, Steve recognised. And it yeah. turned out to be a cow flap, which is all the flaps around the top of the engine. It's a bit like a letting a radiator, so it lifts up and allows air, hot air to come out. Well, we have got quite a lot of diagrams, haven't we, mm. of the planes and what they look like and how they work, well, so well, we could try to match up what we found. What I love about when you find a plane is if you can find a bit of plexiglass for the windscreen and stuff. I find that fascinating because... Humans look through that and that um, polished it, and I, I find that more. It's like a little jewel of finding things. It is amazing, isn't it? Actually, it is. well, I think it'll be really interesting to see where you and I go next, actually, Paul, and what we. It'd be nice to find that last eighth plane, at least understand. I'd love to find that last plane. Let's do that. So I'll treat for February and March. Paul, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's been a joy, and as usual, you and I could chat for ages. We could. Hello, this is Lady Carnarvon, and just to say, please do subscribe to this podcast. Then you can be first on the list every time it comes out.